Hello and welcome to the Culture Desk of the Climate Alarm Clock. I'm Anna Pringle and I'm delighted to be joined by Kaylee Crossan again, editor of Green News. This week, Kaylee and I are chatting about a book called The Parable of the Sower by an author called Octavia Butler. As you will hear from Kaylee, it's not a new book, but it's still very, very relevant. So Parable of the Sower came out, if I have this correct, in 1993. It follows Lauren Alamina. I hope I'm saying that last name right. And Laura kind of has this hyper empathy capacity whereby she feels emotional and physical pain of anyone she looks at, which is very interesting. It follows throughout the entire book. We start off in a walled community in Southern California in what I like to call a near dystopia. So it's not so far in the future that the institutions are totally foreign to us. It's things that we would recognize, but everything is already collapsed, if not on the brink of collapse. So it's an adventure on the road sort of epic that it, it, you have lots of characters introduced along the way. There's lots of different, what I like to call a confluence of crises, which we're looking at not only the climate crisis playing throughout the background, but we have kind of societal crises, housing crises, labor crises. We have uh, political crises that go on throughout the background as well. There's a couple lines there about how there's a presidential candidate who's promising to return the United States to its once former glory. Um, and you just have all these things playing out simultaneously, which I think it's interesting because this book is something that you find a lot of people working in this field say that they constantly refer back to, even though it was written in 1993. And I think it's because we're seeing right now all these crises play out simultaneously. So it's something that we refer back to. And Octavia Butler uh, was a black science fiction writer. She died in 2006. She was the first science fiction writer to receive the, the MacArthur Genius Grant, which is one of the most coveted fellowships. And she explored a lot of those themes that I mentioned there throughout her work. Like we're talking not only again, climate, but like inequality, racial issues, all of those things she addressed throughout all her, all her work. And I'm really excited to explore more of it. The Parable of the Sower is the only book I've read of hers, but I know that there's a sequel, Parable of the Talents, that I know you absolutely ran through, <laughs> Anna, which for good reason. Yeah, once I read Parable of the Sower, and thank you for the introduction to it, um, I couldn't put it down and I had to read the sequel as well because uh, it's just such a gripping story and the characters are so memorable and you care about them as you're reading it. Um, Coming back to the climate change comment about it, I mean, how does climate feature in the book? I mean, how did you see climate featuring in the book? Climate features in the book is kind of this backdrop of catastrophe. So there's drought that's going on. There's these constant fires that um, there's a lot of arson that goes on in the book, but the fires seem to be almost supercharged by all the lighting of them. You have um, rising sea levels. You have the characters are constantly trying to move north to climates that seem to be more hospitable, but also there seems to be more work based on what they've been hearing on the road up there. So it's interesting because I know we said this in previous episodes, but it's it's a situation where there's so much going on in each of these characters' individual lives. And that all plays out against the backdrop of a, of a crumbling society with a borderline uninhabitable climate. So it just kind of plays almost as that background character. Right. And there's a very striking scene where there's rain in Southern California for the first time in six years and how much she relished it. And um, I, th I think that really struck me as 
but it was kind of it was in passing it wasn't the point of the of the story it was just wow it's raining you know and this is a major event and there's a great line in it uh, it describes cycling through LA and because uh, they, they all used bikes because they couldn't afford gasoline anymore and she goes it seems it's easier to give up gasoline than it is to give up water mm. and it's, it's just I thought that was just really powerful as well yeah I think that's what makes it so haunting because I, I have to admit this is one of the first science fiction books I've ever read and it was just fascinating to kind of have that closeness of institutions and things you would recognize like like even reference to like the Golden Gate Bridge is in there which is someone who grew up in the United States that's like a very important landmark in the in the US and then you kind of have this later part where they talk about the fact that it's completely overrun and nobody can cross it again so it has that kind of haunting closeness is how I would describe it you know you said science fiction and I am not a science fiction reader typically but I do I tend to expect sort of very futuristic other worlds technology driven is it that kind of science fiction book or is it more like the speculative speculative fiction that say a Margaret Atwood would talk about I would say it's more speculative. Um, and I'm not sure if you agree on that, but like, I think it would definitely be more speculative in the sense of what I was saying earlier about the fact that like, there are remnants of our current world. There are echoes of it, whispers of it, whatever metaphor you want to use. We, we see those things and we can see how both through conversations of the characters, both through Lauren's own reflections, you can see how that deterioration happened. So I'd say it would be speculative in that sense. Would you call it speculative? Yeah, I mean, to me, it was more akin to, I don't know if you've read Margaret Atwood's Mad Adam trilogy and the the year of the flood. It's, it's again, now I read an interview with Atwood where she dismissed, she was a bit dismissive of Octavia Butler, but oh, really? definitely influenced the year of the flood. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. One of the environmental themes in the parable of the sower is they kind of went back to maybe what Native Americans would have done to live. They started making acorn bread from mm-hmm. acorns, things like that. Um, that definitely flows through Atwood's work as well, that, and, and even the Earthseed right. uh, motif. So I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that. And, and Lauren, her her philosophy is Earthseed. Mm. Yeah. Earthseed is fascinating. It's kind of, it's, I wonder, like, there was part of me that when I was reading this book, it's so prevalent that I was thinking, I wonder why it wasn't called Earthseed. But then the title of the book really becomes evident in the last couple of pages of why that choice was made. Um, But Earthseed essentially is this religion that Lauren is hoping to start, whereby the basic tenet of it is that God is change and the one constant is change. And that conversation plays out with other people she's on the road with. She has her own writings and in her journal about it. So it's very interesting of like, it's just this philosophical undertow throughout the entire book. And it seems to be that Lauren, I felt, got comfort out of this, of making peace with the fact that change is constant. There's, I feel like towards the end of the book, there's a conversation she has with another character where they find it distressing, but Lauren, by accepting it, finds it a comfort, which I thought was interesting. And it's a very activist approach because it's about how you shape change. And, and she has this recurring phrase that she uses about all that you touch is change mm-hmm. and all that you change changes you. So that's a kind of, it's all really about the, that we have the ability to shape things and to make change happen. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Kaylee, this book is, it's futuristic because it was written in 1993, but it's actually set almost now. It's set from like 2024 to 2027, I think. Um, and one of the things that's very striking about it is how prescient it is. And you mentioned earlier the politics and, and the presidential elections and so on. And Octavia Butler actually used the phrase 
Make America Great Again. So haunting. <laughs> in in the sequel, particularly, um, and and predicted some of the authoritarianism that we are starting to see really emerge now, um, which is quite fascinating and disturbing to read, actually, considering how long ago it was written. So to, just to kind of wrap it up, um, what, as you reflect on this book, what perspective do you think the book gives us on, say, climate change or some of those related issues that you wouldn't just get from reading the news or from reading the science? I think for me, and this will probably become a bit of a motif when we have these discussions about climate and culture, but I think for me, the thing that we get in this that maybe we don't always see in headlines is the sense of how important community is. Because throughout this entire book, the community that Lauren builds, it just continues to grow. And there's this motif as well of like the fact that they are going to be safer the bigger they are in numbers. Anytime they consider taking on a new person, I feel like Lauren almost always plugs the fact that like, but the, the bigger we are in numbers, there's more people to keep watch. There's more people to walk with us. We become less of a target. So there's kind of the practical sense of community in that way. But then there's also the emotional buoying that they do of each other. Each of them kind of go through these different periods of reckoning with their loss. And there's this one really poignant scene where um, they lose a member of the group and it's someone's sister. And she, Lauren, who has this hyper empathy capacity, who feels physical pain and emotional pain, goes and walks with the sister who has just lost a family member. And it's this beautiful moment of like, obviously it would be causing her pain, but she wants to have that sense of, of companionship with the person in the group. And I just think that like, the more that I do this work as a climate journalist, like having that sense of connection is so important just to be able to keep going. And, and a huge part of the book is the idea of being able to survive and move forward. So I think that for me was the biggest, most important takeaway of it. One of them, definitely, there's so many takeaways. I underlined a couple times this one sentence that uh, Lauren says in her narration saying that today, today is a good day. And it reminded me so much of a piece that came out in February in the New York Times by Ellen Berry. And it was called, I think the title was Climate Enters the Therapy Room. And it was looking at how now there's lots of patients that are going to see psychologists that I think the official term is climate aware psychology. And there was um, Thomas Doherty was cited in the piece, who's a Portland psychologist. And he had this breakthrough moment with one of the patients he was seeing where she was just completely paralyzed almost day by day of her consumer choices of what the future for her children will look like. She really couldn't sleep. So this moment that she describes as a breakthrough is when he says, in the future, there will be good days. So it's interesting when you're looking at that, what we were calling near dystopia of Parable of the Sower. And Lauren, because she finds meaning in the community and the people around her, she's able to create good days. So I just thought that was a very interesting correlation between that being written in the 90s versus now. And now that we're actually seeing psychologists giving that as advice to patients, I just thought it was a really interesting parallel. That is a really interesting parallel. And that is a theme that comes across very strongly in the book, the power of love and the power of community and solidarity and friendship. Great. Look, I think we are both um, endorsing this book and saying, go and read it and be prepared if you're like me. Once you've finished The Parable of the Sower, you will want to find The Parable of the Talents immediately to continue reading it. So um, I'm surprised you haven't yet, Kaylee, but I'm sure you will. Oh, definitely. It's my next read. <laughs> Thanks again, Kaylee Crossan, and we were talking about The Parable of the Sower by Octavia Butler. Thanks so much.
Here's a clip of Octavia Butler reading from the Parable of the Sower in an interview with Democracy Now! in 2005. As you will hear, her advice about leaders is still incredibly relevant today. Choose your leaders with wisdom and forethought. To be led by a coward is to be controlled by all that the coward fears. To be led by a fool is to be led by the opportunists who control the fool. To be led by a thief is to offer up your most precious treasures to be stolen. To be led by a liar is to ask to be lied to. To be led by a tyrant is to sell yourself and those you love into slavery. As you might have gathered from our discussion, I've become a big fan of Octavia Butler's books. We'd love to know what you think or any other book recommendations you have. You can find us on Insta and Facebook at Climate Alarm Clock and on Twitter at The Climate Alarm. And please remember, as always, to like and subscribe to our podcast and tell your friends. Talk to you next week. Thanks. Thanks.